0: Hey everyone, Pastor James, it's great to be with you. Let's pray. Jesus, we need you. We want to hear from your word. We want to learn from you, our King and our Lord. We ask you to speak your truth to our hearts today. In your son's mighty name, amen. Hey. Welcome, everybody. It is my pleasure to be with you this morning. And I, today, I'm going to share a bit about belief, a bit about f- what what we uh, what we trust, as well as what we fear. And to do that, we're going to be looking into the life and times of Moses and the people of the first half of Exodus. or so, the people of Israel in captivity in um, Egypt. Now. We don't have an 18 week series available to do this in, so I'm not going to try and take every little part of it. Uh, There are also a lot of smarter men and women out there than me, so we're going to start with a short overview video uh, put together by the team at Bible Project who do some really great stuff. Uh, Check this out and them in their other series too. Thanks. The Book of Exodus.
1: It's the second book of the Bible and it picks up the storyline from the previous book Genesis which ended with Abraham's grandson Jacob leading his large family of 70 people down to Egypt. Now Jacob's 11th son Joseph had been elevated to second in command over Egypt and he had saved his whole family in a famine. And so Pharaoh the king of Egypt offered the family to come live there as a safe haven. And so eventually Jacob dies there in Egypt and Joseph and all his brothers do too. About 400 years pass and the story of the Exodus begins. Now that name refers to the event that takes place in the first half of the book, Israel's Exodus from Egypt. But the book has a second half that takes place at the foot of Mount Sinai. In this video we'll just focus on the first half where centuries have passed and the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied and they filled the land. Now this line is a deliberate echo back to the blessing that God gave all humanity back in the Garden of Eden. And it reminds us of the big biblical story so far. Humanity forfeited God's blessing through sin and rebellion and so God chose Abraham's family as the vehicle through which he would restore his blessing to all the world. But the new Pharaoh does not view Israel as a blessing. He actually thinks this growing Israelite immigrant group is a threat to his power. And so just as in Genesis, humanity rebels against God's blessing, so here Pharaoh attempts to destroy the source of God's blessing, the Israelites. He brutally enslaves them in forced labor and then he orders that all the Israelite boys be drowned in the Nile River. Now Pharaoh he is the worst character in the Bible so far. His kingdom epitomizes humanity's rebellion against God. Pharaoh has so redefined good and evil according to his own interests that even the murder of innocent children has become good to him. And so Egypt has become worse than Babylon from the book of Genesis and so now Israel cries out for help against this new Babylon and God responds. God first turns Pharaoh's evil upside down as an Israelite mother throws her boy into the Nile River, but in a basket. And so he floats safely right down into Pharaoh's own family. He's named Moses, and he grows up to eventually become the man that God will use to defeat Pharaoh's evil. In the famous story of the burning bush, God appears to Moses and commissions him to go to Pharaoh and order him to release the Israelites. And God says that he knows Pharaoh will resist and so he will bring his judgment on Egypt in the form of plagues. Then God also says that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. And so we're introduced into the next main part of the story, the confrontation between God and Pharaoh. Now, what does this mean that God says it will harden Pharaoh's heart? It's super important to read this section of the story really closely and in sequence. In Moses and Pharaoh's first encounter, we're told simply that Pharaoh's heart grew hard. There's no implication that God did anything. And so in response, God sends the first set of five plagues, each one confronting Pharaoh and one of his Egyptian gods. And each time, Moses offers a chance for Pharaoh to humble himself and to let the Israelites go. But after each plague, we're told that Pharaoh either hardened his heart or that his heart grew hard. He's doing this of his own will. And so eventually, it's with the second set of five plagues that we begin to hear how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So the point of the story seems to be this. Even though God knew that Pharaoh would resist his will, God still offered him all of these chances to do the right thing. But eventually, Pharaoh's evil reaches a point of no return. I mean, even his own advisors think that he has lost his mind. And it's at that point, point that God takes over and bends Pharaoh's evil towards his own redemptive purposes. God lures Pharaoh into his own destruction as he saves his people, which is what happens next. With the final plague, it's the night of Passover and God turns the tables on Pharaoh. Just as he killed the sons of the Israelites, so God will kill the firstborn in Egypt with a final plague. But unlike Pharaoh, God provides a means of escape through the blood of the lamb. And here the story stops and introduces us in detail to the annual Israelite ritual of Passover. On the night before Israel left Egypt, they sacrificed a young spotless lamb and painted its blood on the doorframe of their house. And when the divine plague came over Egypt, the houses covered with the blood of the lamb were passed over and the sons spared. And so every year since, the Israelites have reenacted that night to remember and to celebrate God's justice and his mercy. But Pharaoh, because of his pride and rebellion, he loses his own son. And he's compelled to finally let the Israelites go free. And so the Israelite slaves make their exodus from Egypt. But no sooner do they leave that Pharaoh changes his mind and he gathers his army and chases after the Israelites for a final showdown. As the Israelites pass through the waters of the sea safely, Pharaoh charges towards his own destruction. The Exodus story concludes with the first song of praise in the Bible. It's called the Song of the Sea. And the final line declares that the Lord reigns as king. And then the song retells in poetry what the story of God's kingdom is all about. It's about how God is on a mission to confront evil in his world and to redeem those who are enslaved to evil. God is going to bring his people into the promised land where his divine presence will live among them. This story is what it looks like when God becomes king over his people. So after the Israelites sing their song, the story takes a sharp turn. The Israelites are trekking through the wilderness on their way to Mount Sinai. And they're hungry, they're thirsty, and they start criticizing Moses and God for even rescuing them. They say they long for the good old days in Egypt. I mean, it's crazy. So God graciously provides food and water for Israel in the wilderness, but these stories, they cast a dark shadow. And we begin to wonder, could it be that Israel's heart is just as hard as Pharaoh's? We shall see. But for now, that's the first half of the book of Exodus.
0: All right. Now yeah, we're back. I, I just love that because it says so much, that short video says so much more than what I could in, in a short time. Um, so now we're going to zoom into a few different parts of this story because there's some really important things here. And so if, first of all, in Exodus 1, we see Pharaoh. Now, they, the people of Israel have lived in Egypt for 400 years and we have no reason to think that this has been a problem for them until pharaoh decides to to base his decisions on fear in verse 10 he says it tells us that he's acting out of his fear that oh maybe these people will come and take over and this is a big problem for us Um, it leads to dread of the israelites and dread leads to treating them really ruthlessly we see in verse 13, which is really not good. Later on in the chapter, we also get a sneak peek into the hearts of the midwives of Israel. Pharaoh orders them that they have to kill the uh, baby boys that are born and do they choose the way of righteousness or the way of evil? Pharaoh is so messed up in his own evil that he thinks it's a good thing to kill babies the midwives say no. We must honour God, and they do. And here we see God's honouring hand because He likes it. He likes what they're doing, saving the the children's lives, and He honours them with a family. Because, of course, for in those times, for a, a lady to have not been able to bear her own children would have been both a a, a social shame, but also a, a physical danger to her protection and provision. So God honours them with his honouring hand. Well, next we move on to Exodus chapter 2. And here I love the heart of God because Pharaoh has planned this great evil and God just outright defies it. He uses that very evil against to, to bring right and to bring good. The rule is given that uh, babies must be th- baby boys especially must be thrown into the Nile. Moses' mum, we never know her name, but we know that for three months she hid her baby. And then, whether out of fear, faith or courage, she does indeed place her boy into the Nile. Um, I tend to think there's a fair bit of faith and courage in there as she does it in a basket that will float. And it floats straight down to Pharaoh's very own daughter, who then pays the very same mother to raise the child for her until Moses can come and live and grow up in the palace. My Joshua is is three months old tomorrow. And so I think of this baby, so small, going down to the river to an unknown, but I know that that mother had been praying for that boy and then as she raises and weans him, I'm sure she continued to do so, praying over this young man's life. Moses, for me, is a great example of Romans chapter 11, verse 29, that God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. In his... Uh, middle age, we see that Moses knew that he was going to be used by God to deliver the people of Israel. He saw the injustice and he saw that it was wrong. However, he went about dealing with it all the wrong ways. He committed murder of an Egyptian soldier. Suddenly, the Pharaoh we read in verse chapter 2, verse uh, 15, the most powerful man on the planet has put out a death warrant for Moses' life. Like these stuff-ups are kind of major stuff-ups. Committing murder, being a very, very wanted man. He goes and marries a pagan priest's daughter. Jethro, though we know, see, he has a, wa- a wisdom. He was a priest, but uh, he was not of the people of Israel. And he spends 40 years wandering in the desert, being a shepherd, looking after his family and his family's sheep. You think any of them should derail the call of God on his life. But no, God's gift and God's call are irrevocable. We now flip over to chapter 3 and 4. We see this really challenging, really exciting, really... Uh, an interaction between God and man that shows us that you think mental health issues were new? No. You think people doubted their identity back then? Yes, they did. Moses says to God, God calls Moses to do an important job, and Moses says, No, I'm not worthy. Who am I, God, that that I should do that? Well, God's reply is, I will be with you. Life source, I want to challenge you today. Don't believe everything you feel, because our feelings will lead us astray. You know, if I was still in a well-being role in high schools, I'd feel like, there's two things I'd be wanting to share, put up signs up so people realise. Don't believe everything you feel and don't believe everything you think because sometimes our thoughts are dumb. and Sometimes our feelings will very easily lead us astray. Well, God said, I will be with you. But, but God, what if they ask me in your name? <laughs> well, I am who I am, God says. But God, but God... What if they don't believe me? Well, what's that that stick you're holding on to? Take the staff, put it on the ground, and it turns into a stake. Put your hand inside your jacket, and it comes out white with leprosy. Put it in again, and it comes out healed. He also even gets told that if he takes water from the Nile, it'll turn to blood in front of the elders of Israel, so that they'll believe him as well. As we see later, he does that before Pharaoh. Oh, but God I, I'm I'm slow to speak and uh, slow of speech and tongue. You know, I, I'm not a good talker. Hey, Moses, who gave God who gave man their mouths? I will help you speak. We read in chapter four, verses ten and ten to twelve. And then undone without any more excuses, Moses still thinks he can't do it. And God simply says, and Moses simply says, Lord, please send somebody else. Well, all right, Moses, take your brother with you. And, and Moses would be thinking, yeah, that's great. Aaron, he'll be able to talk, he'll make things better. Well, like I said before, don't believe everything you think. Later on in the story that Moses is up Mount Sinai having a, Chat to God and getting the Ten Commandments and things and what's Aaron leading the people to do? Oh let's uh, create a golden calf. I wonder what if Moses had actually just gone all right God you've said it I'll do it let's do this maybe would that golden calf have ever happened who knows now we move over to the plagues. The plagues of Egypt are a direct attack on the Egyptian gods. We, we see each of the 10 plagues directly relates back into one or more of, of the Egyptian gods. And so here I see in it God's conquering hand. He's going, well, he's saying, hey, Egyptians, you think your, your, God, your God of the sun is good. Well, I'm just going to make it dark for three days. But just to mess with your heads, I'm going to give the Israelites lights in their houses. Um, you know, we see that one of the Egyptian gods has a, the face of a frog. So Egyptians treat wouldn't kill frogs. They, they were precious so God floods the country with frog frogs that smell and stink and rot and go everywhere and oh but we see there's a god of the Nile and so God turns the water to, to blood the fish all die. Suddenly people Egyptians who've trusted this mighty river all their lives to bring a harvest to bring safety to bring water cannot. God conquered. The other thing we see, uh, the the video pointed out very well for us, that Pharaoh's evil, his rebellion, and then his hardened heart. For the first five plagues, God, uh, we see, Pharaoh chose to harden his own heart. In the next five, uh, we see, that God has already given him ample opportunity and so then God hardens Pharaoh's heart to display his power righteousness and glory not only to Pharaoh not only to the Egyptians not only to the Israelites but to every nation around because God is wants to be known and glorified by people of all the earth okay so we see God's fair hand. There's an interesting uh, independent ver- verification of the uh, the plagues hitting Egypt. As a Christian I believe that the word of God is true and I do not need some separate um, verification but there was a poem written around about 1400 BC while the the plagues were around 1450 BC and um, and this, this Egyptian secular poem oh, talks about the uh, many of the things that we saw in the plague. It's called the Ipua Papyrus. And, um, yeah, interesting for those of you who, who want to look into the facts around the story because the Bible is fact. The Bible is one of the most accurate, the most accurate historical document of the time. But I love how people from outside of the Christian faith, and even the Jewish faith, can actually verify a lot of what's in the Old Testament, even though they don't necessarily want to. Now, back to, where were we? Exiting. Exiting of Egypt. Finally, after the 10th plague, the one that opposed the god Pharaoh, because to an Egyptian, Pharaoh was their god, was the, the mightiest, the strongest of all the gods. Um, and, and yet Pharaoh's own son was killed, as well as all of the firstborn people of Egypt and the even firstborn animals. So... Pharaoh finally relents and says, all right, go. And and this, I, I wish I had the time to just read the whole story. I would really love you guys to take the time to just read the story because it is powerful, it's wonderful, it's just a very good story. Who cares what else you were thinking to watch on TV tonight? Check out some of the, either read the story straight Quick and simple, check out some of the great movies written about it. Um, Because it's a powerful and wonderful story of God's mighty hand, God's guiding hand. As the people are coming out of Egypt, we're told that by day a pillar of cloud goes before them, and by night a pillar of fire to bring them light, warmth, protection. So we see God's guiding hand. They come to a point where they're told to kind of, all right, they've gone over here and then they're kind of of told to go back over this way a little bit to against the Nile across opposite this particular town. Uh, Not Nile, the Red Sea. Opposite this particular town. And Pharaoh gets this message and he thinks, ooh, ooh. Maybe these people, they're wandering, they're lost. They don't know what they're doing. Let's go get them back. Why would we, we want them to be our slaves again? So Pharaoh chases after them. And we have this really, in chapter 14, this really confronting scene as the Egyptians, as the Israelites, go, Oh, Moses, Moses, oh, help us, help us. They wanted water, they wanted food. We'll deal with that in a moment. But what... Else we see is God speaking through Moses. A wind blew the walls of the sea. Seas don't have walls, but there was a wall of water and a wall of water and dry land in between. This is a powerful, a mighty hand of God. The Israelites walk through on dry ground. The Egyptians follow with no small... No small army. We're told that there are 600 of the best chariots, plus all the other chariots. Um, Each being commanded by an officer. Now, for those with military, officers aren't the ones who do the stuff. They're the ones who tell the other people to do the stuff. And so, how big is this army? I don't know. But we do know it was possibly the most powerful army on the planet at the time. And yet, it is drowned in the Red Sea, because Pharaoh, in his own evilness, was pursuing wrong. The Israelites—they tell us there were around two million—have at least six hundred thousand men of of military age, or. Um, not counting women and children and the elderly as well. Um, so, the Israelites pass through. And yet, days later, weeks later, we don't know, they are fickle. People are fickle, feelings lead them astray. Moses, Moses, we're thirsty. You, we, why are we here? We should have stayed in Egypt where we had water. Uh, Moses, there's f- no food, no food. Why, why did you bring us out here? You should have let us die in Egypt. At least in Egypt we have barrels of food. Is this possibly the most epic and earliest example of hangriness around? We have a people that are hungry They're getting angry with Moses, yet think about what they're saying. They're saying, oh, let's go back to Egypt, you know, where we had to kill our babies. Oh, well, hang on. I don't know. Thankfully, what we do see here is God's patient hand. Moses as well, a little bit. Yeah, he's frustrated by the people, but he also is more patient with them than many others of us would be. But we see God's patient hand. And, hey, you and I, (laughs) we've got to remember, don't believe everything you feel because I'm sure that if they people had been able to act on that and go back to Egypt and, you know, how dumb would that have been? We've seen here just a few small snippets of a fascinating story. A story that has power. But ultimately, what does it mean for us? It's not just history. It's not just our history as we are God's people. We, we are not Israelite by our blood, or I am not. And yet we are God's people by faith. And we see this example of God working through these people. First of all, this was a, a mighty work of God, not only for the Israelites. It, the Bible tells us that there were other people that went out of Egypt with them, whether they were Egyptians or others, I don't know. We don't know how many, but we know that there were people from other nations that went out with them. We know that every person in the surrounding nations was fearful of the God of these people because they knew that he was real, because they could see his work. They could hear the stories. They saw the chariot wheels floating down the red in the Red Sea. So... God used them as an example to the nations around them. Even though they didn't want... They wanted nobody else to know their God. They wanted God to punish everybody else. But many others feared the Lord. So, we also see that we shouldn't believe everything we think. Our thoughts will lead us astray. We shouldn't believe everything we feel. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 3 to 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Heart, feelings, you know, feeling center. You know, How many movies? We all know the heart is where you feel stuff. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Your own understanding, your mind. It's not to say your mind is bad. It's not to say your feelings are bad. But it is to say that in all our ways, acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight. You know, just a few things we saw through there. We saw God's honouring hand over the lives of the midwives. We saw God's redeeming hand throughout Moses' stuff-ups and problems. Uh, we, we saw God's conquering hand over Pharaoh with the plagues of Egypt. We saw God's fair hand We saw God's guiding hand leading the people going before them directly we saw God's mighty hand and God's patient hand God does each of them in our lives as we don't trust our feelings don't only trust our mind but like Moses mum like the midwives they acted in faith To do what was right god likes that god makes firm the steps of those who delight again a feeling in him our feelings are good as we give them to god as we surround ourselves by the joy of the truth of knowing him hey church i hope that this story, this has just given you enough of a little snippet to fascinate you a little bit more to go and investigate it yourself. Check out, check it out. Get into God. Ask Him what He wants to say to you about it, because the truth in the Word of God does make a big difference in our lives. Can we pray together? Lord, You are good. We thank you for the history. Thank you for your work in the lives and examples of Moses and, and the people of Israel. Lord, help us to see not just the, the, the common children's book story version, but help us to see your nuances, your truths throughout it all as you and how they speak and apply to us today. Lord, help us to know that your guiding hand is on our lives. That your conquering hand, your honouring, your redeeming hand, your mighty hand and your patient hand. Lord, help us walk with you a bit more obediently than that ragged mob. A bit more uh, directly. A bit more worthily, not because of who we are, but because of Jesus in our lives, the Passover lamb, the one who made the way. Lord, help us know your your guiding pillar of cloud and fire. Help us know you are near each day. Thank you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Don't let fear derail your life. Give it to God. Trust him with your feelings. Don't let thoughts, questions, and overthinking things submit your thoughts and your knowledge to him the egyptian people all had this great knowledge of their gods and yet god had to show them no 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 he is truth he is the way he is the life and he wants that for you
2: amen Remember this, he took my sin and he. Ba- All of this for your glory. Let's get in, church. Let's get in. Come on. See the love. see the light Thank you for joining us on the live stream of LifeSource Church If you clicked the raise your hand button please make sure you fill out the form If you'd like
0: to respond to the prayer or you just want to have a chat, we'd love to connect with you. Please make sure you leave us a comment on whatever platform you're watching on today. Be blessed Have an amazing week